Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds. Welcome to the Nerd Association podcast from the WBNS FM studios here in Columbus, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Finch. And I'm your other host, Daniel Barnett. This isn't the first episode we've had since, but we did take a a brief sort of administrative break to get some ducks in a row with the show, and we are back. But I was getting my master's. He was, Chops was getting his master's. No, that was a joke. It was it was my doctorate. Uh, But we, Doctor Chops, you know, some time passed, and we realized like there's some things we just kind of missed, but not necessarily enough to make a whole show about. So we've decided today for what is our seventy fifth episode hands in the air you know yeah, we, are the we did it that we would just kind of do a brief rundown of some of the stuff that we felt like oh we would have liked to have talked about that so uh we're going to be all over the place today it'll be a little different style of episode than we usually do but uh, probably something for everybody i would assume I if you think listen so. to our show consistently is we're going to cover a lot of things that we that are near what we normally absolutely cover. so and i think uh we're going to just bounce back and forth so chops why don't we start with you what do you have first on your list all right, Daniel, what do you think of when I say showtime? Well, <laughs> lots of things. I do happen to know what we're talking about today. I would think of the 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 movie network that you, you know, you got to be careful if you watch it past like 1 a.m. or right. whatever, probably first. Uh, but in that, that's not what we're talking about. No, but it is related, yes. actually. So Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty is about the Showtime era Lakers, which started right at the beginning of the 80s when they drafted Magic Johnson and through that decade into the early 90s a little bit. So you have Magic and Kareem teaming up. And how did they become this big thing? Yeah. The reason it's called Winning Time, because it should be called Showtime. That's what it was called. And then it became like unnamed Lakers project. Yeah. Because HBO picked it up. Yes. And they said, well, we can't name a show and after market it a another. ton after our like main competitor yeah. network. They're the they're the top. They're Coca-Cola, yes. I think, of those type of channels, those movie channels. But uh, yeah, they couldn't call it Showtime. So now it's called Winning Time. But the show's actually really good, despite them not being able to call it what it should have been called. Well, it was something that I really was almost completely unfamiliar with when you brought it to the table. But- I'm not a person who would say that I am normally very motivated to watch a sports documentary or a sports movie sort of documentary, mock- not really a mockumentary, but you know what I mean, yes. uh, based on a true story, let's say that. But this looks pretty good. I- I'm thinking I'm going to have to have to check this out because the cast looks incredible. Several of the projects we're going to talk about today, it's like, how are they getting these casts together? Everybody needed paychecks after the pandemic hiatus, maybe? I guess. Well, and as you stated, because it's L.A., probably a lot of the people involved are at least adjacent to being Lakers fans, if not for any other reason than they live in L.A. Right. I would say it's interesting, too, because, you know, you're way more of a sports buff than I am. But for both of our lifetimes, the Lakers have been one of the winningest, if not the winningest dynasty. In, in all of the NBA. Yeah. I mean, the Bulls obviously are up there as contenders. I think more recently, you know, the Warriors and the Cavaliers, their rivalry. But, like, man, in the in the 90s, you, even if you didn't have any sort of proximity to either of the cities, like, kids either had Lakers jerseys or Bulls jerseys. Yeah. And, of course, we, we know all about the Jordan Bulls era. We had that documentary last year, correct? Two years ago Two now. years ago now. Wow. 
Well, and the thing about the Lakers, too, is they've hit two dynasties in that time. So they won right. five titles with Magic, and then with Kobe and Shaq, they won they won three in a row with Kobe and Shaq, and then Kobe won two more right. at the end of his career. So you're talking a 30 to 35-year span where they won 10 titles. Uh, you know, a third of the titles available. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about NBA history, if I'm going to be honest, but it sounds like the Lakers coming back in the way that they did might have saved the league. Well, there's been a lot of talk about that, that Magic and Larry Bird, because they played in 79 in mm -hmm. the college national championship. Right. And so the rivalry started there. Then you send them each to the two winningest coast teams. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And they're, they're on separate coasts and they're the, they're the winningest teams in, in the NBA, uh, which had just become the full on it. I mean, cause the NBA was around before the merger, but yeah. then the ABA and the NBA came came together and it was and that, one of the reasons they had to merge was because definitely didn't have room for two and people right. weren't even sure if it had room for one that year i don't know the full like specific years on it but i believe it's that year that magic and larry played for the college national championship the nba finals were tape delayed and like aired later on it, during whenever they, they could fit it in with, on yeah. the network and like that's pretty foreign to people nowadays but the nba was a struggling league so you bring in magic johnson and larry bird and that that brought it up and then the showtime lakers and what they did and now the nba is what it is today where guys make 50 million dollars right. a year having this kind of a story and it's it has there is all this history this is integral to the creation of the nba as we know it today and it's attracted all this talent you know the the one of the main characters is jerry buss john c Riley plays him and looks yeah. like he's just having the time of his life playing this character and Jerry Buss is, yeah, a legendary figure with the within the NBA. So the Lakers do not endorse this uh, being made, and the gotcha. Buss family does not, which in a way kind, kind of, of makes you feel it like that it must be good. Yeah, it must be more <laughs> right? credible somehow. We're not getting any of that inside influence trying to change things with it. So uh, because, I mean, honestly, it kind of makes Jerry Buss seem like, like the you know, the coolest dude ever, but yeah. in like kind of a seedy way. I get right. why the family maybe wouldn't like their their patriarch who started this Lakers dynasty to to look this way. But and John C. Riley does the Bus family still in the Lakers? Yes. Okay. So Jeannie Bus is uh, his daughter, and she's a character in this, mm -hmm. and she is still like the main controller of the of the Lakers. So John C. Riley looks like he's having a lot of fun, and yeah. he he's definitely like the headline. Of the show, I think the casting for the players is pretty good. The guy playing Magic gets it, like just get that smile out there, yeah. and that's and you can look like Magic Johnson. the The guy playing Kareem, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, mm -hmm. he looks like him when he's when he's got like his afro and he's got his facial hair. But there are some scenes where they go back to like when he decided to change his name and stuff when yeah. he's younger and he's his like face is shaved and he doesn't look anything like Kareem and those which ones. is funny like, to think how about. does that work yeah <laughs> how does the makeup and hair additions like make him look you know en passable enough like Kareem but when they take it off like it's not there at all to me as you said it's kind of interesting that they really they wanted these the the actors to be tall dudes they didn't have to Right. You know, mess with the so optics of that. So you can't cast Kevin Hart or something right, like which, that. Right, <laughs> exactly. But, and, but Quincy Isaiah, man, uh, looks so much like Magic and looks like, I, again, I haven't watched the series you have, looks like he's a great actor. I mean, am I, yeah, am he's I doing, off base? <laughs> I think he's doing a great job. Yeah. Um, he's Like I said, the the Magic thing that you got to hit, you got to hit the smile. Yeah. And then, you know, then, and then that makes it like, uh, 
it's a real like ooh pay attention type moment when when he doesn't smile yeah you know so that kind of gives you a little little keys there but yeah i think he's doing a great job some of the other guys um we haven't quite so we're like in the middle of the season right now um so we're just getting there but um uh, adrian brody plays pat riley Mm -hmm. who was the phil jackson of the showtime lakers before phil jackson was the guy with with the bulls right um and then Phil Jackson went on to coach the Lakers during the the Kobe Shaq era, but so Adrian Brody, we're not quite there where he's like taken over, but you get to see him as Pat Riley as he's like trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life after he was done playing professional basketball. Um, and then who is it? Uh, Jason Siegel is the one of the assistant gotcha. coaches as well. But as you mentioned, yeah, just a an all star cast, and then you've got um, playing Jerry Buss's mom, Sally Fields, which I I didn't recognize her, but I mean Sally Fields always great. Is it Field or Fields? Field, no S. Yeah, that, Justin Fields, that Midwestern S <laughs> that we like to add to things, right? Sounds like based on your endorsement and based on seeing the trailer for the first time, because we all have our things that we pay attention to, and I was embarrassed to realize like, oh, there's a lot of sort of big cultural <laughs> movies and shows out right now that I just didn't have any idea about. Uh, go check out, go check out Winning Time. Yeah, this was their like answer to Euphoria and Righteous Gemstones. We're done. Though. Yeah, here's what's on Sunday nights on HBO. The one other thing I want to say about it real quick is I really they do a really good job of like taking you back to that decade. They use a lot of uh, real film, and it's definitely like older film stock. Yeah. So they do that. One of the things I really like whenever anybody's driving, they do like the rear projection, so yeah. it looks terrible. But it's but it how they like, did it in movies like that, yeah. and I was like, I like that touch. I because I, I assume it's intentional. Yeah, it has to be. <laughs> right, they have to be doing that on purpose. There probably are more cost effective ways to <laughs> yes. to do it now. All right, what do you think of when I say April Fools? Um, I mean, this one's pretty straightforward. Yes, I think of I don't know what else that would April Fools Day for sure, which we just it seems like we just passed we're already through April, aren't yeah. we? Dang. I uh, I brought this up because had we uh, this is one of those things that I I just it gets stuck in my craw every year. You know, my my background is in news and especially for that reason, but just also as on a personal level, I just think the April Fool's joke, especially from major corporations, but also just in general, is dumb and we need to stop. And one of the things we, we as we were like, okay, well, we'll talk about this. What's the history of April Fool's? And it turns out when France, here's your history lesson for the day. <laughs> All right. When France was switching from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. Seven days or six days on that? It, <laughs> don't get it started. <laughs> the year was meant to start in April instead of in January. When the calendar switch happened, they were going to start on an April 1st. But about half of France didn't get the memo and assumed if we're starting on a new calendar, it's going to start on January 1st. And actually, as far as timekeeping goes, this is a really interesting point in history where part of the world just missed three months. (laughs) But in any case, people who missed the memo and thought that they were three months behind, essentially, were called April Fools. So April Fools is, if you notice it, it's F-O-O-L-S apostrophe. Right. Because it is the day of the April fools belongs to the april fool right you you exactly first of all <laughs> making fun of people because they i, I either because I mean, you lied to them and they believe they, you because they didn't get the memo on the, <laughs> the date 
because the, you know that'd be like if if you uh, showed up at my house <laughs> a day early for like you know a get together, and I was like, "You f- idiot, <laughs> get out of town!" And I like tarred and feathered you. Um, and they made a whole day about and it. They every made year. a whole day about it every year to be like, "You stupid." <laughs> that it has that sort of a spirit. So on a personal level, one mean spirited. Two, the point is that you're supposed to prank people, but it's on a day known for pranks, right? That's like fu- comedy is a lot less funny when you know it's supposed to be a joke. Like the unexpected thing is usually the most funny, right? Right. It's similar to like being frightened like yeah you go to a haunted house and they jump out and you and it makes you jump but you kind of laugh it off and you're like oh that's why i'm here right but you walk into your kitchen and somebody's standing that you didn't expect and that's, that's way more that's really terrifying not to, to harp on this but one of the things that we've talked about with my sense of humor one of the reasons i don't find say will ferrell funny is because there's so many stupid jokes end to end that it's not there's no chance for anything to be unexpected right yeah it's usually when you're caught off guard by humor that it's that makes your belly really yeah with I mean, laughter because i mean if, if you go into like the theory of comedy it's misdirection right that's like that's why stand-up comedy can be really good because they're leading you one way and then boom their, right. their story takes a left turn and so it's it's mean-spirited it's unfunny which a, a joke is supposed to be and then you get corporations involved so for instance we have a, a, a we don't have to go th- through this list exhaustively but like Twitter this year on April Fool's said they're working on an edit button, which is a feature that everyone thinks Twitter should already have, right? at least for some amount of That's time. That's a really stupid one, though, because there should be a typo in the tweet. I mean, if yes. you're really just making a joke anyway. <laughs> That's true. Like- a company called Synology decided they were going to make a, a, a floppy <laughs> station computer and made jokes about you know floppy drives being a thing. Bush Light released a pee in a bush kit which is just a like a, a funnel that you use to pee into your beer can which by the that way that one's not a bad idea no but it's <laughs> it's also just using a product that already exists called the shiwi yeah is, and also it's suggesting that i mean i guess they're laughing themselves but that bush lights just like piss in a can that's what everyone always says um i also <laughs> saw there was like mayonnaise company that was going to do like a uh butterfinger mayonnaise so it was mayonnaise and chocolate mixed uh, Omaha Steaks doing a meat sweats antiperspirant that smells like. So you get the point. Yeah, they always and like so those ones are really easy to sniff out, and they're kind of like they're mostly eye rolling. Right. The hard part is in our line of work. Yes. You with you know quote unquote real news and me with sports news. I was on the air that day. Yeah. And Reeser, who we've had on this uh, podcast before, Eric Reeser and I were the whole show. We were like, we're gonna try to do our best uh, to be like arbiters of truth today like tell you here's something we saw this is definitely april fools and and like we thought we were we were top of mind trying to make sure and there was one that even still got us because it had enough reporting around it yeah it was cameron hayward who's a former Ohio state player plays for the steelers now um and he said like well it's been real steelers fans and we're in the nfl offseason and there had been reports that the steelers might be shopping all kinds of stuff so it's like this one's like Oh, did is something going on? Is he being traded? Is he being released? Something like that. And you're you're trying to figure it out. And you and so that one got us because we thought there might be some, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire with that one. And it turns out it was all just there was no fire, it was just smoke. Yeah, I can remember a time early in my career, and I wish I could tell you what the story was, but I ran a story and my my news director came in and was like, Are you stupid? It's April first. Like that can't it was one of those stories where like this kind of seems far fetched, but I mean it's yeah. from a it seems like it's from a good source. 
and it was a, f- I mean, it was fake news. Now, I think one of the things that bothers me in particular in the day and age that we're in is that real journalism already has a hard enough time getting people to buy in. Right. We're in as the sort of like the fake news accusatory generation at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's it's double cruel to make a day where like it makes things seem less credible to have them Because it's not reported. like real reporting takes a moratorium on April right. 1st. You still have to report on the real stuff. I think it's also sort of sinister that these major corporations get in on it because to me, yeah, it just lends credence to this idea that you can't believe things you hear in reporting. I don't know. I'm just sick of it. I, it's just dumb and pointless, and it's not even like a... It's not even like a Hallmark card holiday, right? It's just this dumb day that we celebrate for no good reason. I think, for me personally, it's the macro pranks. The macro April Fools that is like too much because you just don't know what to do for an entire day of the year. I think the micro ones are still okay if you want to do something to your coworker or your sibling or you know something that's little. And you, you don't drag it on if it's something that lasts like 10 minutes or less like a little joke i don't like that we see prank and like make it a prank like don't just tell something like yeah there has to be like a sort of lie to make a prank kind of work but like there should be like some sort of prop or something they do that makes them look funny and you laugh about it right but just lying to somebody and then saying april fools isn't a prank that's just lying yeah and a lot of the time and you know i don't want this to come across as being crass but like a lot of the time the kind of interpersonal april fools pranks can be really mean spirited, like calling someone be like, "Hey, I I got the diagnosis and I have cancer." Right, April Fools! Like, what the hell's wrong with you? What you'd pull that kind of a joke? One I saw this year. It wasn't anybody I knew, but I was at a brewery on April first, yeah. and the people sitting next to us at the bar, the lady came back in and she kind of like uh, like smacked a guy on the shoulder and was like, "You jerk!" And he's like, "April Fools!" He had told her that he had just walked in yeah. and he had told her that I think somebody uh, hit your car, your taillights busted. And she went out and checked it. And to me, like, that's pretty that's, harmless, but still. For that moment where they're going through it. But yeah. but the joke is you got them to walk outside. Yeah. I, I'm okay with that one. I, I will say the sort of the extra layer, you know that I have a, a low tolerance for stupidity. I have a low tolerance for willful ignorance, but I also have a low tolerance for stupidity. It also bothers me that people will make legitimate announcements on April 1st and then have to go back and qualify like, oh no, not a joke, it's a real. There's two levels of stupid there, which is they shouldn't have to go back and qualify it, but they also should just wait one more day to make the announcement. So for instance, there was this a point-and-click computer game years and years and years ago called Monkey Island, and there was a Monkey Island 2, and they were wildly popular. And this creator announced that after... 18 years he's gonna make another monkey island game and he announced it on april 1st and so people assumed it was a joke and he had to go back and (laughs) clarify i think a couple of different times no we're actually doing this and so it makes you wonder like couldn't you have just waited one more day to make like it's not it's you've done yourself a disservice here i guess maybe they get more press that way i don't know maybe they just didn't know you forgot about I it did and did a story once. <laughs> so anyway, that's my. This is my formal petition to ban April Fool's Day as a holiday. We already have enough dumb, pointless holidays. We don't need this one being dominant on the calendar. And it's not even a real holiday. Yeah, there's nothing else to it. Nope, it's just about being mean. There's not it's a special wh- cake. Mean and lying. There's not a. There's not a parade. Nope. <laughs> no, it used to be back in the day in in ancient Rome. They had a thing called Hilaria, which was kind of like. 
Mardi Gras. It was like satirical. People put on costumes. Yeah. No, we don't do anything fun like that. Uh, yeah. It's just it's just mean and dumb. At least when we steal holidays from other cultures in America, we at least wrap drinking around it something. <laughs> yeah, there like, isn't even that. There's not even like an April Fool's there's bar no, crawl. There's no, get there and the there's bars no are all presents exchange. There's no alcohol. There's just like, yeah, no. There's it's a just special a, dinner. It's that... just a dumb, mean day. Daniel, what do you think of when I say driver's license? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I have this plastic card in my wallet uh, that I use to prove who I am on occasion that gives me, uh, you know, the latitude to drive a car in the state of Ohio. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm thinking that probably <laughs> you're referring to the Olivia Rodrigo song. Yes, I am. And upfront about it, I like it. I like the album. I think there's, you know, there's there's driver's license. Good for you. Deja vu, brutal. A B C D E F U. That's not her, isn't it? No. Oh, see, well, there you go. Well, <laughs> that gets to the point that I was about to make, which is uh, Olivia Rodrigo, who I don't have an issue with, but is basically just making standard pop right now, not making anything that exciting. No, I, I, I wouldn't. I'm not. I, I don't think yeah. she's revolutionizing music, but I liked it. It's sure. on the radio. Yeah, it's I hear it. I, I go, could, yeah, yeah, I tap my I, foot along to it. Sure. These songs make me happy when I hear them, but. That being said, I think she definitely deserved to be new artist of the year. I don't know what the other ones were, at but she, the Grammys. That the we Grammys. should say that it, we yes. are talking about the Grammys more than just Olivia Rodrigo in particular. This comes up every year for me. Yes, she won three Grammys this year. Yeah, which is more than Cher, who won her <laughs> first Grammy in the '60s. Yes, and is still. I don't know. If she's still making music, but she's still. Cher she's still had a, a presence. Yeah. Cher had a. A, I don't know if it was a number one hit, but a near top hit for like four or five straight decades. Yes. So that's pretty good. Yeah. She's won one Grammy. Yes. I looked it up. It's like, I, I can't remember. Was it, it was Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and Van Halen have won three combined. They've each won one. Yes. And Olivia Rodrigo won Just three won this three. year. Billie Eilish won like four yeah. last. Like there's too many categories. It's become diluted. In yeah. There's words. no, like there's no specialness to Winning multiple Grammys, I will say. Winning one means you've you've gotten there. You're you're there. Yeah. But now it seems like once you're there, it's pretty easy to win multiple Grammys in a single year. Yeah, which, which should be more difficult, you would think. Although I guess with the nature of pop music, like you tend to be, pop musicians tend to be big for a year or two, mm. and really it's only the standouts that make it past that, right? And they they also stretch that best new artist category, especially with like how easy it is to release music. So like. I think it was Megan the Stallion one, yeah. and it was like three years after like people knew who Megan the Stallion was. But it's because you're like eligible your first year that like your first official studio LP comes out. Correct. But there's SoundCloud, there's people Singles. who release mixtapes. Yeah. So people are famous. Yeah. She was actually a newcomer this year. So I like I said, I give her credit for being best new artist. Yeah, yeah. this year. But and it's, this isn't to like crap on Olivia Rodrigo in particular it's just the nature of the award yeah, yeah. she's just the most recent example like you're of seeing it. people who get to 10 15 years into their career and they've got 17 Grammys yeah <laughs> this is too many and and again when when you would say and maybe we sound like old farts but like some of the greats who you would think even just through longevity right either through talent or longevity should have many 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 more awards I mean, I I don't know the number, but I am about to do the research. I wonder how many Grammys the Beatles have, and you you know, and a lot of theirs are. I looked their them up, and so their number isn't as good for my point making. But I think it's there's not very many when they were active. 
they've got like some lifetime achievement type ones. Gotcha. Um, because I mean the Beatles were only together for like six years or something. Yeah, but they've only still only gotten seven seven Grammys. And I, if I recall, Olivia Rodrigo's halfway to the Beatles her first year of being a musician. And if I recall, they got musician. they got a number of those when they did the anthology releases. Do you know about those? So yeah. They ha- yeah. So I want to say at least one of those Grammys was for an anthology release. So it wasn't even. It was almost a recognition award in that sense. Yeah. I don't know. They've won many more sort of non-competitive Grammys, which are like, you know, Lifetime Achievement Award, Hall of Fame, et cetera. No, it, it does seem like... So the Beatles, yeah, the biggest rock band of ar- all time. Yeah, arguably <laughs> the most influential musicians of all time have seven. And Billie Eilish has more than that now. Yeah. Because so, I think that was the big deal a couple of years ago that she had as many Grammys as the Beatles. So I don't want to take away from the artists because it's not no, their fault that there's as many Grammys. The Grammys all. need to reel it in. Whereas the Oscars are trying to get rid of categories. Because kind of for this reason. I mean, the Oscars are a different animal and we can. But there's not like a... it's not like Tom Hanks does for, like one movie can win a lot. But it's not like Tom Hanks won five Oscars for Forrest Gump. Correct. He won one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And again, the Oscars are another argument to be made at a different time, but I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that's the big complaint for most people is that these award shows are like, it, what, it, at some point, it's just like, what's the point? Everybody's got one. It's Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's that, uh, am, I, am I turning into the, I nope, hate everybody nope. gets a trophy. And you're like, yeah, participation <laughs> trophy. Yeah, that is kind of what we sound like. But yeah, no, it, it'd be nice if there were some actual competitive awards out there. And then, I, because it's annoying because it's used as a barometer to compare success and it, you can't use the grammys right for because that. it's it's almost like inflation right you can't yeah. uh, what when someone wins a million dollars in 1900 versus when they win a million dollars in 2000 like they're just not the same right <laughs> it, it like so far removed from being the same yeah, yeah it's like com- like with this example same thing with money but like comparing like how much money an album generated that came out in 1960 if it's not a, right, if it's yeah. not adjusted for inflation, for sure. I agree wholeheartedly. So Grammys, get it together. Yeah. You're a hot mess. I'm sure the Grammys, <laughs> whoever who whoever is the Grammys, I'm sure they listen to Nerd Association. Yeah, no, they follow us on Twitter, and you should too, by the way. Nerd Association, N-E-R-D underscore A-S-S-O-C on Twitter. Bang. Um, bang, yeah, there's your promo. <laughs> Chops, what do you think of, this is an obscure one and I apologize, what do you think of when I say, Link. Link. Dot, dot, dots in there. Those who get it, get it. If you know, you know. I think even if I didn't know what we were talking about, um, I would think that this has something to do with Zelda. Hey, there you go. That's because Link, that's, you know, You're a step that's ahead what that's of most to. Exactly. You, you, uh, you are a step ahead of a lot of people who don't realize that the main character of those games is actually Link, not Zelda. <laughs> right. Yes. So we want to talk about the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild Two development title, the sequel to Breath of the Wild, and Exhale I, of the Wild. I'm <laughs> I'm correct in thinking you've never played the the Breath of the Wild. No, but I'm familiar with you're it. familiar enough. With big the, open world, and it's uh, a sequel. But like the Zelda games have all have been pretty famous for that. That like each one is like a different style, a right. compl- almost a completely different game, but like the elements you do like are still there as far as like the story stuff. Yeah, there's there's the story elements, there's the puzzle solving elements that are almost always part of it. And it's a pretty it's a pretty cut and dry story, you know. Bad guy wants to take over, good guy has to stop him. There's a princess involved, she's also magical. 
And there's always been some time travel elements. That's the other thing that's sort of interesting about the series. A really brief uh, summary of the a couple of games, because I think it's relevant. The Legend of Zelda series famously has this really convoluted timeline, and in fact is a good example of multiple universes. Because some of the games are developed with the idea like, what if Link lost in this game? What would happen in the timeline? Or what if... Link had never gone back in time. This is what the timeline would look like. And so it's circuitous and it's hard to keep track of. And there's a really great Polygon video that you should go watch about (laughs) it where Brian David Gilbert gets really frustrated about trying to (laughs) get it all together. It's just a question for you. Yeah. In Super Smash Bros. Melee, are these two different Links or is Link and Young Link supposed to be the same person, just one is younger. Those would be the links, I believe, in Melee from both from the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And so they're the same link, just one who's older than the other. Okay. I think it's been a long time since I've they, played They're Melee. the same art style and everything. Yeah. So you, I believe I think, that yeah. that is supposed to be the case. Because Young Link is a, a character you play in the early half of the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time before you discover the Ocarina of Time and the Song of Time and you take the Master Sword and you, you're old Link. Yes, as we Anyway, know. so... The most recent two games have been Legend of, The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword and The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Skyward Sword goes back to 10,000 years before the events of Breath of the Wild, which is to say it sets itself up as chronologically the first Zelda game. Is that the one with the wolf? No, that's Twilight Princess. Mm. But this one sets itself up as this is the precursor to every other Zelda game you've ever played, and here's how it started. And then Breath of the Wild comes out a few years later, and it says... This is the latest in the chronology. So now we've bookended it. We're telling you this is how it started, and this is where it ends up 10,000 years later. And there are lots of landmarks in Breath of the Wild in particular that are from Skyward Sword, so that's kind of cool. And the premise of Breath of the Wild is much like the other games, except Link Link fails to beat Ganon, the big bad of most of the games, and they put him into cryonic sleep for 100 years. And he comes back. He has to regain all of his powers. He has to unlock these allies that are going to help him in the final fight. Zelda has been holding off Ganon herself for 100 years in real time. That sounds like hell. Good for her. Because she's this sort of living seal that seals the darkness in. And then, of course, he has the sword that seals the darkness in. And you have to power up and then go and fight Ganon and defeat him and free Zelda. And then at the end, you're buds again. And it's really beautiful. It's got, it's in addition to just being great gameplay and a beautiful environment, the story's really cool. It's much more developed than a lot of other ones. And you, one of the keys in the game is you get these memories from 100 years ago where you start to not just gain Link's abilities, get, but get his memories back and like learn about what the storyline is. So it's the best, it's widely considered maybe the, the best Nintendo game ever and among the best video games ever, period. In 2019, it's announced they're making a sequel to this game. And that was three years ago. That was three years ago, and it's been development hell is too strong. But like people who know about video games know there is this phrase development hell, which is when a game takes way too yeah. long to come out. Sometimes I feel like that's I feel like that's more attributed to games that they're not really sure if they're ever going to make. Sure, I feel like Nintendo is going well, to make this game. It, yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> Doom is the most famous example. I think Doom had a twenty year development hell on their yeah. their most recent game. But at least with video games, they can usually use. The work they've done for the most part like that happens with movies too sure. and movies just like 
get lost to time because and then there's like a new director and then like the guy you wanted to play this character well now he's 20 years older or he's he doing a different part right or, yeah. <laughs> it was recently announced in the past two or three weeks that that game was going to get bumped from winter 2022 to spring 2023 and people are kind of disappointed but they released some new footage the game looks incredible it's basically you've destroyed ganon and now it looks like ganondorf who is the sort of more humanoid embodiment of that creature is coming back to life after having been killed many long years ago. And I, Twilight Princess, I think would have been the game that he was last killed in. Anyway, he hasn't showed up for a few games that he's going to be like necromantically resurrected as this sort of like mummy King kind of character. And parts of this breath of the wild map are going to split off and be up in the sky. So you're going to still be exploring some of the old environments, but some of them are going to be twisted around or where you have to fly up to them. And there's like skydiving elements. And also that link has become tainted by the darkness that one of his arms has basically like a sleeve of tattoos, but it's the bad magic and that he will somehow be able to channel the bad magic. It sounds like a nice combination between your two favorite things, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. It's Yes. <laughs> it, I mean, in a lot of ways, the Breath of the Wild scratches those itches in a big way. Yeah. Especially because it integrates, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fantasy story, but it has, a, this game in particular has a lot of science fiction-y elements of using technology to create magic-like effects and yeah. things like that. Do they have a description or name for the art style of that one? Um. I don't think so. Like it's not cell shaded. I'm not sure what the I'm but the it has a sort of anime vibe to it. But yeah. Does this link have a name? Because isn't like Cartoon Link like Wind Waker and It's just this is just Link Link. I know what you're getting at. No, this is just the regular old Link, not with any sort of because yeah, Wind Waker was No filter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one of the big sort of speculations too, in addition to okay, everyone's really excited for this game, it might it might be the most anticipated Nintendo game ever. It would certainly be considered one of the most anticipated games of these, you know, couple of years. Is that people, you know, the super nerds analyze the footage from the latest trailer and go, this looks too good for the Switch. And this is supposed to be real gameplay footage. Nobody's ever lied about that. No, but that, I mean, you, usually a, a video game company doesn't it no. doesn't pay off for them if they promise that this is real gameplay footage and then it turns out not to be. People get pretty upset and Nintendo about that. is reputable. I mean, I think that's usually like a, a, somebody who's like trying, like almost like a scam about it. And like Nintendo's not that, trying to scam people. That's considered to be a dirty trick. Yes. If, if video game companies show you something and claim it's real footage and then it turns out not to be, that's considered that's a dirty trick that most shy away from. Anyway, the the saying like, oh, this looks too good to be gameplay, a lot of people are speculating that this might, so the Breath, Breath of the Wild, the original, was a cross-platform release. It was on Wii U and on Nintendo Switch, and a lot of people are speculating this could mean, especially with the bump back, mm -hmm. Nintendo might announce a Nintendo Switch Pro around holiday 2022, and that Breath of the Wild 2, whatever the sequel is called, would be a cross-platform release. One of the things that, which I think you and I talked about this a little bit ahead of time, like the Switch has been a good thing for Nintendo. They've yeah. figured this out. People really like being able to switch between handheld and on your big screen. It scratches all the itch, and it also means Nintendo's not releasing. You know, for a long time, it was the Game Boy and then the iterations of the Game Boy. They're not having to do that anymore. 
Um, yeah, this able, covers both of those bases. Exactly. And that's smart from a development standpoint. You know, Microsoft and, and PlayStation aren't doing that either. Yeah, and uh, PlayStation had a PSP for a while. But... but most people would argue it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I liked my PSP, but no. But as a separate I wish system, I had kept right? My DS. I, I mean, it's a separate system. Yeah, that's and true. And that's where the Switch, Nintendo Switch would be smart. If they're going to do anything, just upgrade the, the guts. Yeah. Make it run a more powerful graphics card. Make it have, you know, longer battery, battery life. They They've already been behind on the hardware since like the 64 yeah they were ahead on the 64 but then not for very long yeah but that's never been the point of nintendo games no yeah is that i mean that breath of the wild managed to be visually stunning without having all of the trickery that the other systems had and so anyway it's it's an exciting release i will also say that these many years later i recently decided to play through breath of the wild again and my wife who is not a gamer in the slightest was like this looks cool. Could I play this game? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You should start start a file. And she's now obsessed with it. <laughs> and so I think that speaks a lot to any game who can get someone who is would not consider themselves a gamer and who would almost scoff at the idea of like spending that much time playing a video game is now actually addicted to it. Yeah. And that speaks to Breath of the Wild and, and hopefully to the sequel. I will also add one of the potential features of Breath of the Wild 2 is um, local co-op, so two people could potentially play at the same time. That's not confirmed, but the storyline and the footage seems to suggest that might be the case. Mm -hmm. And this would be the first time, to my knowledge, that there was a co-op Zelda game, you know, as a potential. And I think uh, that'd be a wonderful Besides, thing. like, Four Swords... Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's true. You know, you're you're right. Four Swords was local. I know some things. You got it. I never played Four Swords, but that's uh, that is. I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. So anyway, I'm excited. Hopefully, it doesn't keep getting pushed back, and you know, this time next year we'll be talking about it. So hopefully, that'll be it. Next up for me, Daniel. What do you think of when I say Apatow? Uh, a director that I normally would not have any interest in watching <laughs> is is as we've discussed he's usually his style is not my style however anything from like anything from his like production side to like i just watched forgetting sarah marshall last weekend again I, I think that movie is delightful i can't claim to have watched all of his movies because the ones i have watched i haven't enjoyed so i yeah. can't say like oh and uh, I think he's just a producer. Categorically. Which ones I, have you seen then? Let's start I there. I don't know. I just, I'm trying to think. Name some movies. <laughs> Superbad. Yes. Knocked Up. Yes. This is 40. No. 40 Year Old Virgin. Yes. I think that uh, uh, Funny People. No. That about covers his directorial stuff, but, it, you know, then there was that whole group of sure, guys, yeah, and yeah. he was a producer on those kind of movies. That's like, that's sort of, forgetting Sarah Marshall falls into that. I think he's a producer gotcha. in that one. But yeah, anything anything from say, the mid-2000s to 2010 that was like, that had Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd, Jason Segel, Martin Starr. And the problem is, is that I didn't ever find any of those funny, and when I saw the previews, they never looked funny to me. What about Freaks and Geeks? <laughs> I never watched Freaks and Geeks. I know people are crazy about it, but based on what I've seen, I don't think it would have. It, I would have gotten into it. Well, even well, though I I should be the target audience, right? You yeah. <laughs> you do seem like somebody who, if you did enjoy anything near that, that Freaks and Geeks would be probably your your high watermark for Judd Apatow. And the reason we're talking about him is because the his most recent movie is for me the low watermark of Judd Apatow. And it's called The Bubble. 
Yeah. It was on Netflix. It premiered at the beginning of April. On April Fool's Day. Yeah. And it was not an April Fool's joke. And it's about a... It's not struggling, but like a... I think struggling seems right based on... A long... A long-winded action franchise yes. that is trying to okay. We here's our seventh one. They're trying to film the seventh one of this movie, and then the pandemic hits, and they're having trouble. So it's called the bubble because it's about it's meta in that way that it's like they they took you know movie inside a movie. They took the actors and put them in a bubble, and like what is that experience like? Right. So it's kind of it reminded me of Tropic Thunder without as much bite or like sure. good satire to it. it. It really amounted to like. Actors are tough and making movies is difficult and, oh, swabs in your nose type jokes. Well, it's just it seemed like the struggles of making films in the last couple of years that most people wouldn't think about. And also that classic story, almost like the producers, like we have to make something if we want to make any money. We know this isn't necessarily great. About half the people on board are really into it and really believe in it. And the other half are just like we're, we're just making this to make money. The thing with Judd Apatow, yes. and I think the reason why he resonated with people is his jo- his movies were filled with like poop jokes and boner jokes and stuff like that. But somehow he always was able to kind of tie it up, and it was more poignant at the end. And almost it seemed like, like an elevated poop joke, almost it, like the South Park thing, where it's like it's, yeah, it's, it's crap jokes on the surface, but then there is a deeper sort of satire to it. This one did not have that. But see, me. it seems to me like it's directly a satire, or it, if not it's a satire, satirical, but it's more farce. slapstick. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a farcical. Farce. I don't know. And what's funny is in watching the preview, I thought, I think I might actually like this one. And you know what? Maybe because it doesn't look like the Judd Apatow that most people are expecting, that's why I'm interested in it. Maybe. And maybe you would like it. Yeah. But, I, and we, as and, we discussed, and well, it's hard. It's hard for me to tell you that this isn't a good Judd Apatow movie when you say you don't like any of the other. Right. Judd, so I don't know. So what maybe that means it's a great, you. maybe it's a great Judd Apatow movie because and, and as we talked about before, there's a, a great the cast is awesome. You know, Karen Gillan, Pedro Pascal, Fred Armisen, David Duchovny, Keegan-Michael Key, Kate McKinnon. Peter Serafinowicz, like I could keep going and I won't, but there's just a ton of really, and Guz Khan, who most people won't know, but if you're a Taskmaster fan, you will. It's got a great looking, you know, the cast looks awesome. One thing I'm worried about is yes. he was, uh, for a period of time, five, eight years, maybe even a full decade, he sure. was kind of the top of the comedy game. Yes. And in the like the waning years of it, it was really the end of the studio theatrical comedy. Um, so he was kind of the last breath of that. And then this one's on Netflix. But I worry when I was watching it, it reminded me of like the beginning of the end of Happy Madison being anything worth watching. Sure. And because like now Leslie Mann is his wife and she's been in a lot of them and she was an actress before then. But then his daughter is one of the seven uh, leads of the movie within the movie. Right. And she's not even the one that like, is like hot right now the his older one Maud Apatow I believe her name is she was in Euphoria so she like has like a you know she's like having a moment her, yeah. she was a big deal in season two of Euphoria and that right. was really popular so when that girl came on screen I was like is that her it sounds like and then I was like oh it's the younger sister and yeah I guess I mean there's always nepotism in Hollywood but I just like that's what Adam Sandler does is he right. just makes movies with his friends and puts his family in it yeah and that it makes me nervous for what his next 
project would because be. Because definitely Adam Sandler, other than um, Uncut Gems being a bright spot. And, no. I'm sorry. And that's not... I, I apologize. Uncut Gems <laughs> being a bright spot. And that's not produced by him. Correct. I'm just saying, like, that's been the most recent thing he was involved in, and that was a sort of outlier of, of what he had been, uh, you know, involved in more recently. I... I just think that dumb poop jokes aren't the aren't the way of comedy anymore. I think. Well, I'm that, not saying there's not dumb poop jokes and no, stuff but like my, that. No, but this my movie. point is, is like I think for a long time that sort of just like nonstop dumb comic relief style was cutting it for a lot of people and like scratched the itch, like found the zeitgeist of what people are interested in. I just don't think people find that kind of stuff that funny anymore. <laughs> Maybe I, I'm wrong. I Maybe. think the Apatow movies did a good job of striking a chord with like slice of life stuff, very relatable stuff. So it wasn't slapstick far out there kind of stuff. That's sure. where and that's why his movies are so good with all those funny actors who then go on to be really famous. You know, yeah. the guys are listed at the beginning there because like he he would mostly just like here's the situation and they would like turn on the camera and they'd riff and they'd do stuff. And that's right. why you get like some of those low hanging fruit jokes but you get the i don't know you get the sense that you're like in this like almost clubhouse feel of it whereas this one did not feel like that to me yeah i don't know i mean think about all the saturday night live movies they made back in the day and how almost none of those landed most of those weren't funny and to me the formula you're describing is the same formula I don't I, know. I mean, it's to each their own, and I don't think. That, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to project this idea. That I'm just trying to think back to the SNL movies now. The Wayne's World ones are okay. Sure, they're Night okay. The Roxbury has like, it's like memeable moments, but the movie's but not then there's really like androgynous Pat, and what's the one with um the monkey, uh with Chris Kattan, and he dresses up as the monkey. Those are dumb. Oh, Corky Romano. Yeah. No. No. Oh, well, it, Corky Romano is another one. Though. That's a Chris Kattan. Um movie uh and he fell off the other one is uh mcgruber mcgruber at least knows what it is and, like it knows that it's all a complete farce joke so mcgruber is kind of fun because it's not trying to be anything more than that all i would i guess and i, I don't want to give this impression that i somehow think my my s style of comedy is more highbrow because i don't think that's it i don't think that it's that i my my sort of the thing that makes me laugh is somehow better than the thing that makes other people laugh i just don't it just doesn't do it for me and i think one of the reasons you know we've unlocked it now why i will go and watch this yeah. is because it seems like it's not the the judd I'm, apatow that i <laughs> i'm very interested to see what you yeah think of we'll this have movie. to do maybe we'll have to do a full review <laughs> of it because i'm expecting maybe something revelatory and apparently i should not we'll see we'll see what do you think of when I say, we lost, the battle is over? Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's pretty right. good, actually. Thanks. I, I didn't practice it ahead of time. I wish I had. I might hello there. Yeah. Maybe I should have just said hello that. There. I, yeah, yeah, I see, should, you got I it. Thought I about, hello there. <laughs> I thought about that one. Yeah, let's, let's... What do you think of when I say, hello there? General Kenobi. Yeah. Kenobi. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you know, this is one of the things that's popped up uh, in the last month that we haven't got a chance to talk about that is, I mean, I just couldn't be more excited about it, <laughs> is the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that's coming to Disney Plus in late May. I think it's worth saying that when Disney bought Star Wars and there was this talk about doing individual Star Wars story movies, so you had Rogue One, a Star Wars story, you had Solo, a Star Wars story. 
the Kenobi movie was the one everyone was excited about. And mm-hmm. it was that was one of the first projects that was named back then. Like we're gonna we're, these things are in development. Aside from the original three, he might be the most revered, like this guy plays this Star Wars character. The prequels have come around to having a lot more affection than they used to, which is the way these things work, right? Nostalgia is a powerful thing. But even back when people were willing to hate on the movies more, one of the things everyone could agree on was that Ewan McGregor was awesome as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And you, yes, I would agree with you. He is definitively the person who plays this character apart from the the three movies in which Alec Guinness played him. And that's not to take anything away from Alec Guinness. It's a different character. And I think everyone's always been excited when we saw these two definitive performances of the same character. What bridges the gap? I think everyone's always been excited. How does the Kenobi that we see in the prequels become the Kenobi that we see in the original trilogy? Two sons really makes you age fast. Yes, it does. And we've, <laughs> you know, we've brought that up on this show before. Now, Ewan McGregor is now the correct age to be playing a, a sort of aging Obi-Wan Kenobi and not need a whole lot in the way of, of makeup or prosthetics or whatever you want to say. Yeah, I mean, that's been... 20 years. It's been almost. the 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 supposed amount of time between those movies. Uh, and this plus, is yeah, but plus this a is, little. Yeah, but this isn't even quite to that full gap on So there. the premise behind the Obi-Wan Kenobi show is that it's 10 years after the fall of the Republic. And we are seeing, and this is a time period that we've never, this specific period of time is one we've never seen in Star Wars media before, or canon media before. Right, or because filmed canon media. We have seen it in the comics. Let me take a step back. Mandalorian is after Return of the Jedi. Yes. So we've had Rebels, which was set four years before the Battle of Yavin, so 15 years after the fall of the Republic. Bad Batch was right after the fall of the Republic, but this is a sort of area of time we haven't seen yet. The premise is the Empire is at its strongest, and things are at their most dire. There is no rebellion as of yet at least not one, you know, this is around the same time that solo, a star Wars story is set and not an organized rebellion that has, you might have some resources, right? You might have a few factions here and there, but this is about the time where people are starting to rebel or have that, those impulses and the empire's cracking down on it hard to try to squash it before it, before it goes any farther. Of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi is uh, one of the last remaining Jedi after order 66 And there's a group of Jedi hunters known as Inquisitors that are led by Darth Vader and a character called the Grand Inquisitor who are tasked with going around the galaxy and hunting down any remaining Jedi. I guess I should say... Hayden Christensen's going to be in it? Is this the first you're knowing about this? I... Sorry, for, for like behind I, the scenes, I did just put the cast <laughs> list up on our screens. Um, I, sorry, I just, I, the, yeah, it took me by. I feel like I've heard you say that, but I guess I don't. I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't. Well, I wasn't thinking about it in this moment. Let's let's talk about that in a moment. But basically, the idea is for whatever reason, Obi Wan Kenobi, and we can speculate here if if this is the appropriate time for that. I, we haven't had to give a spoiler warning yet, but maybe we should. If you want to go into Kenobi. Not knowing anything, I, all Which would be I have hard because there's so much yeah, Star Wars in the world. Like. All I have are rumors, but you know they might be credible. So if you don't want to know anything, you know Kenobi's on Tatooine and he is at his you know the darkness of the soul, and 
he apparently is living in a cave by himself, basically moping because he's he was part of the failing faction. And he has lost all of his hope. And one of the things that you see in, in Revenge of the Sith is Yoda teaches Obi-Wan how to commune with Qui-Gon Jinn, his, his fallen master. And we are, uh, rumors say that Obi-Wan has done, has unsuccessfully attempted to contact Qui-Gon for 10 years because he's cutting himself off from the Force. Mm-hmm. And somebody, something happens to, on Tatooine. A lot of rumors say that a, a Padawan, a Jedi Padawan, tracks Obi-Wan Kenobi down on Tatooine to try to get him to come and help with the budding rebellion or with, you know, some people have said that Leia is in danger, that somebody might have figured out that Leia is the daughter of of Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. That's a little bit up in the air, but that this Jedi Padawan tries to get him to come and that that's where you get the line, it's over, we lost. This kid gets killed by one of the Inquisitors who then is on Tatooine and Obi-Wan's like, well, crap, I wasn't going to leave, but now I feel like I have to have them chase me so they don't get too close to Luke. Mm-hmm. who you see briefly in the trailer, you know, with the, maybe young Anakin's pod racing helmet on, you know, <laughs> doing doing his gestures of pod racing. And that Obi-Wan basically has to lead them on a, a, a wild goose chase to keep Luke safe or potentially to track down Leia. One of the characters in the trailer is supposed to be the uncle that Luke is with. Yes. So um, let's, talk, let's talk about the cast. Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. Darth Vader. Again, let's put a pin in that. Joel Edgerton is returning as Owen Lars. He was Owen Lars in the prequels. Okay. And Bonnie Peace is returning as Baru Lars, and she was Baru in the sequels. So they had very little screen time uh, in the in the prequels but those are those actors deborah chow who is directing has said that joel edgerton was a, a welcome gift that george lucas gave her because he does very little in in the prequels but he's going to get a lot of screen time based on yeah. what we know of of that character moses ingram is being going to be playing a uh, reva or the third sister that's one of the inquisitors and Rupert Friend is going to be playing the Grand Inquisitor. That's a character we have seen in animation but have not seen in live action. Sung Kang is playing the fifth brother, an Inquisitor who, again, we've seen in animation but never live action. And then some others, um, Kamal Nanjiani, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Simone Kessel, Benny Safdie, uh, Maya Erskine, Rory Ross, and who did I, oh, Indira Varma are also appearing as, as characters who we don't know a whole lot about yet. It seems like Indira Varma is going to be playing an Imperial officer. I would guess that Kumail Nanjiani is playing the droid that we see in the trailer. I said from the beginning, if they're going to use somebody like that, they almost always make them an alien or a robot. <laughs> that does sound right, yeah. Um, yeah but we, and, and apparently the robe, the Arabesh, which is the alphabet in Star Wars on the robot, says Ned. I could see Kumail Nanjiani playing a robot called Ned. <laughs> but, you know, who knows? I would also say that if they, they haven't shown him in a trailer it would make sense that that's the, anyway. Yeah, I mean, he would almost be, even with this, I mean, this is a good cast list, but yeah. he would m- probably be the second most recognizable person behind Ewan McGregor. I would agree now, with among that. Among Star Wars fans, a Hayden Christensen drop would be, but, but he's not exactly famous now. No, he <laughs> dropped off the map after these movies, basically. Um, no, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Rupert Friend was in Game of Thrones? I don't know him by name. I, if I saw his picture, I'd probably recognize him if he, he was he, a game. I, I, I think I'm getting, I, I might be getting that wrong, but he's been in something where people knew who Rupert Friend was. A lot of people, so Jason Isaacs did the voice for the Grand Inquisitor in Star Wars Rebels, and a lot of people were like, why didn't you just cast him? <laughs> uh, who knows? Anywho, 
Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. There's a lot of, of course, the big pull to this series. And one of the things that when it was first announced was part of the, hey, get excited for is we are going to see a rematch between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader, which would make this, as far as we know, the second of their three duels. When you first said rematch, I was like, well, no, isn't there the fight I thought of was the one where Obi-Wan gets gets murked. But I was like, no, Anakin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in, In A New Hope. There is a very small percentage of people who are like, that takes away from. No, it doesn't. Shut up. It's going to be cool to see them. Darth Vader, you know, both sort of um, Darth Vader, probably closer to what would be considered his prime. Mm -hmm. Um, He's, of course, very strong still when they fight again. But this will be potentially. Well, and Obi-Wan's closer to his prime in this fight. too. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see this rematch, which is, you know, of course, being hotly anticipated. A lot of people were upset when Hayden Christensen wasn't asked to play Vader in Rogue One, even though you, he doesn't have really lines or anything yeah. to speak of. And it's not like Hayden Christensen is like a huge bulk of a man. Like. Right. But Hayden Christensen, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, if they're having him in this series, it it's partially ceremonial, but it's also probably because there will be flashbacks of them when they were training together which I think that only makes sense. If you're going to bring him in, de-age both of them, have a few scenes of them when they were in training. Yeah, Some of the best sort of fan-made YouTubes of A New Hope are where they have Ben Kenobi having PTSD during that scene where he talks about, like, your father and I fought in the Clone Wars, and he's remembering, like, the good times and then, you know, the bad times. Are we going to get a Hayden Christensen helmet off white? pale face almost certainly yeah you'll get think. you know you almost certainly get one of those in fact one of the rumors um they're having a unique release for this series which is a limited series six episodes sounds like they're not planning on a second season yeah well because it's replacing a an originally planned movie so that makes sense no it makes so sense it, I, yeah. i'm not i'm not i'm not upset about that i think it's it's good for them to just sometimes do these limited series Originally, it was going to be released on May 25th, which would have been the 45th anniversary of the release of A New Hope. They did announce they're going to bump it back to Friday the 27th, which means it coincides with the release of Stranger Things, by the way. And it also puts it one day after Star Wars Celebration, which is the what the start of Star Wars Celebration, which is where they have all the yearly Star Wars panels and talk about new projects and all that kind of stuff. But it's still in the right time. They didn't yeah, push yeah. it back a ton. <laughs> But it also said that they're like, because we're moving it back two days, we're going to release the first two episodes together. Uh-huh. You'll be able to watch them both on day one, which is a new thing for for Disney. They haven't done that yet where they released multiple episodes. It's yeah. always been a week. And after that, it'll still be week by week. A lot of speculation. Again, spoiler warnings. I don't know if this is true, but it would make a lot of sense, is that at the end of episode two of the series, you will see the reveal of Darth Vader for the first time in his sort of back to tank and that the eyes will open on Hayden Christensen in the white makeup and things. And that that'll be him having this perception in the force of Obi-Wan Kenobi because Mm. Obi-Wan Kenobi is reconnecting himself to the force that Anakin suddenly senses his master. And there's this big dramatic him coming to life in the series. There's also apparently been some leaked footage of their fight 
five seconds of the sort of stunts and some wire work, which looks very cool of Darth Vader sort of one hand lightsaber force pushing Obi-Wan Kenobi across a room. So for everyone that liked that final scene of Rogue One, yeah, this should this show should be up your alley. It, it gives <laughs> something I've always said is we get so little of Darth Vader. You know, we know in A New Hope that Darth Vader is this legendary monster mm-hmm. that the universe knows his name and is terrified. And but we get to see so little of that on screen. It'd be like seeing only Michael Jordan when he played for the Wizards. Yeah, <laughs> and like you, know, you exactly. don't get to see you any know of the Bulls he has stuff. this reputation. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good example. You know this reputation exists, but you don't know why. Yeah. And Rogue One gave us a taste of here is why people are terrified of Vader because he shows up and a horror movie ensues. And you know if there are any survivors, they're telling it you know in a in a straitjacket because of how terrifying the experience is. Right. You know, this is the guy who leads a a crew of people who hunt down and kill Jedi. He's a bad mamma jamma. (laughs) And so, yes, I anticipate we will see some of Vader being the most terrifying Vader he can be. I think that's a wonderful thing. I think that only serves to make the lore more rich. And I think it's going to be wonderful to see Obi-Wan Kenobi coming. Like, what makes him turn from despair to hope? I also think it'll be neat. You know, some of the best Star Wars media out there... There were books of short stories released so far for the anniversaries of A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, and there'll be another one next year for Return of the Jedi, called From a Certain Point of View. And there's uh, books of short stories sort of based around those films and some of the things in the films. And one of the best short stories from those collections is one of Obi-Wan Kenobi having a forced conversation with Qui-Gon Jinn. And it's beautiful and it's interesting and it makes the lore so much richer. And the idea, and of course, Liam Neeson hasn't been confirmed for the series, but they would want that to be a surprise that his, you know, Mm -hmm. he as his voice or as a force ghost shows up and is the thing that's like, hey, Obi-Wan, listen, I know it's bad right now, but you got to believe, you got to hope there is something out there worth saving. And that's, I mean, I get chills talking about it. It's, it's going to be, I don't want to build it up too much because I am always a person who says like, don't build (laughs) things up too much. Don't set your expectations. But I do think, all indications are it's going to just be pitch perfect, and I could not be more excited for it. Uh, high hopes, fingers crossed. All right, we'll wrap up with one more. Okay. What do you think of when I say torn from the headlines? I think it's worth saying that there are so many of these docudramas out there right now that from a, from a perspective that uh, – let me give you an example – Let's I'm 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 rambling. (laughs) One of my favorite films is All the President's Men. Yeah. All the President's Men is about the two reporters that brought down Richard Nixon through the Watergate reporting. It was released two years after the Watergate scandal wrapped up. At the time, that was considered too soon. (laughs) So, yeah, this isn't a completely new phenomenon, but it was after everything was wrapped up. Mm -hmm. And that was considered really cutting edge that, man, you mean this thing just happened two years ago and you have a movie about it? Now, as we're going to discuss, sometimes the stories they're talking about haven't finished yet. <laughs> yeah, which is like there's there's something when it's a real documentary and it's not a narrative show that you're putting sure. together that, okay, sometimes you've got a lot going on a documentary and you release it and you stay, well, this, this story isn't completely over, yeah. but here's what we have. T- I, Tiger King was sort of that way. Yeah, yeah, but I do find it odd when you do that with 
when you write a story and you write a narrative and it's like, well, yeah, but now you don't know exactly how it ends. How to, and because you don't know how it ends, you might not always know how to characterize right. people. And that you're running the risk of like characterizing something wrong or getting certain details that like maybe if you knew that this was the outcome, you wouldn't have done this scene of the same way. people who are alive and could contest it or people who know them are alive and right. could contest it. <laughs> so the, the Hulu is like the king of this yes. right now. The uh, the Tiger King one, I think, is on Amazon. And that's the one that... when I, And when I said Tiger King, I meant the original. Yes, Tiger you meant the King Netflix docu- docu- yes. documentary. But I think they're doing... I think it's Amazon. And it's... Uh, A docudrama. Carol is being played by Kate McKinnon. Yes. And that one I find odd. And I'll get to why I find it odd compared to these other ones. Because that one... The only reason the Tiger King and Carol Baskins and... Joe, whatever his name is, Joe, Joe Exotic. Oh, yeah. there. Yeah. You, I knew it was something exotic. <laughs> <laughs> um, the The only reason that's like popular, like nobody knew about this story that came out with a documentary, and here's all the details laid out, and everybody watched it. Right. I actually never watched it. Um, but, it, you know, it laid it out all at the same time. And so it's like, okay, so we, we know all the details. Yeah. So that one I don't understand so much why they felt the need to make a show. I don't. Well, because it was popular because people, yeah. it was the hottest thing that it was all anyone could talk about for several months. These other ones I get because unless you were somebody who was really following a story week to week, month to month, year to year on something, you might have only heard about these things. Right. Um so the the Pam and Tommy one is the one that's sort of the hot yeah. right now. And that one's and that one's older, so like okay, re- rehashing it I guess is like a little bit more of a refresher, but like the uh the dropout is Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Right. And that one, I remember that story, but like I didn't know all the details. So that was interesting to me because I didn't know everything. Like right. I feel like that's the thing with Tiger King. It's like I feel like don't we already know everything? So we're just gonna see people do dramatic reenactments of things that yeah, we exactly. already know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the, and I don't dislike them, but it is odd to me. Like the Pam and Tommy one is older, so like that one and like that story's been written. The question is what do you sacrifice by not know like having the whole story when you make it? Right. right. When it ends with you know, still awaiting sentencing. That, that, yeah, <laughs> to me, like ha- and that's in the case with the dropout, like that's cutting it real close to not knowing if the person's still awaiting sentencing, like there might have been a lot that came out in the trial that might have been relevant to your show. Yeah, that you may have you, you, you may have already written and already right. done. Yeah, and you might have messed it up because you tried to be too close to the cutting edge. Well, and there, the Hulu just released also the, or I think it's in the middle of its release. I'm not watching this one, but the girl from Plainville, right? And that one that it's was still like in techni- trial like a year ago. Yeah, or? technically is wrapped up now, but yes, is. And that's a sticky one to right. decide to not to go forward without all the details. And I don't know, maybe maybe these streaming services have figured out something about their production schedules to make them able to do things in a more timely fashion. But it would be hard to think. You would think you would have to go to with a script and all that, you know, even if you're doing rewrites as you're filming like that. I don't know. It I agree seems like with you. We're getting close to like a series just called torn from the headlines where they just like, here was the most interesting thing this month. And we've made it a narrative story, which is almost back to like unsolved mysteries. Yeah. And those shows that were like, uh, you know, the almost like forensic files or things America's like that. America's most wanted. That yeah. Kind of where stuff. they like reenact these crimes and things. You're almost Except back now to they're going to have like Oscar winning actors. in Yeah, these. <laughs> you're, but you're exactly. Whereas it used to be, you know, you got whatever extras you could get on the day to yeah. say a few lines and, 
everything old is new again. And this is a really interesting example of that. Because, yeah, it's exactly like those sort of early 90s. We're going to make these really proximate. Yeah. Did you hear about did you hear about this? Here is what actually happened. And here's a full thing. But it's not a documentary. It's like, yeah, it's a it's a narrative actors scenes cut action all that kind of stuff and it's interesting because it it plays into and this was big in the early 90s especially the 24-hour news cycle and how that has changed how people consume media and consume i mean you're using the phrase straight from the headlines like headlines has this implication of being from the news right Mm -hmm. but it also in some ways they hit the nail on the head a little too much because the headline usually doesn't tell the whole story and really people aren't interested in the whole story at they just want to see a dramatization. Yeah. They want to see famous actors playing these people they've heard of, and they want to feel like they're getting a little bit more information. But yes, as a, and this, maybe this shouldn't bother me in this way, but like as a journalist, that bothers me because it's it, it plays in again. It plays into that whole fake news mentality that people have, where you don't really care if you get the true story. Wouldn't it have been weird to make Argo in 1978? Yes. <laughs> right? It would have, Yeah, there's lots of examples of where like, you just wouldn't have done this in, in the past. Yeah, so I, I just, as they keep coming out, I'm like, man, they just keep getting, like, the the girl from Plainville and the Theranos one are kind of contemporary. Sure. But those are both getting really close to just present day. Right. And, like, when are we going to get to that where they're like, what's the newest one? And it's like, well, this one's still developing. And it's like... Who cares? We've got, uh, and the, I, I don't know, an a- actress enter here. She yeah. can do it. <laughs> and Pam and Tommy, you're right, is an example of it maybe done well. Yeah. Of a docudrama done well. Where Something that everybody remembers. You're fuzzy on the details. Sure. Okay, tell me what it was. What happened. The OJ you know. series I felt that way about. That and that like, was kind of the start of this reinvigoration right. of this stuff. I understood that as, and I got where they were coming from with that. And yes, this is a story that especially you, people you're in my age, we remember the fuzzy details. Of course, you and I didn't go and watch the Pam and Tommy sex tape when we were. No. You would have been two years old probably when it was released, three years old, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. And so I, th- I think of, um, too, like the story of Princess Diana. I remember from my lifetime, I remember her funeral and like the fact that they took off <laughs> Saturday morning cartoons, I think it was, for a whole day while they did the news coverage. But I couldn't have told you much about that incident until yeah. I actually went back and did the research. And they're getting to that one on The Crown. Now. Right now, that one went way back. Sure, but but I, but I guess that's I think that's my point is you can do it well, and there is a market for it, uh, especially for events that have happened within our lifetime that maybe we didn't know as much about as we and thought. That's, we did. that's the problem with it is like now they're knowing now that they know how to do it well, they are getting really fast on the turnaround of it. But and it's like it the, used to be kind of schlocky with those shows in the nineties. They're missing the hindsight portion. Yeah, of it. yeah, yeah. Interesting conundrums we have here. (laughs) Well, we're glad to be back, folks, and thanks for sticking with us and returning to listening to Nerd Association. If you would like to uh, reach out and let us know how glad you are we're back, you can do that on Twitter. You can find us at nerdassoc, N-E-R-D underscore A-S-S-O-C. You can also email us at nerdassoc at gmail.com with your ideas or maybe to even come on and be one of our nerds. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.